0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since nineteen seventy-nine. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. First Timothy, the second chapter. And beginning with verse eight. First Timothy, the second chapter. Fathers, we approach your word. We approach it reverently. We approach it humbly. Knowing, Father God, that it, this word contains your very life. I thank you for the anointing that's upon it. I thank you for the greater one that is within to bring forth your word in power and demonstration of the resurrection of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you for attentive ears and receptive hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We are not continuing our study this morning. We've decided to pick that up this evening. But this morning, our subject is the virtuous woman. If you're wanting to put a title to the message, it's the virtuous woman. The virtuous woman. In First Timothy, the second chapter, beginning with verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, than Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. The fifth chapter of the same book. Begin reading with verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old. "...having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to act wanton against Christ, they will marry." "...having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully." for some already, have already some already turned aside after satan now i like to read from the amplified version that same passage of scripture in 1st timothy 5 and i'm going to read well let's read it from the very beginning there verse 9 or yeah verse 9 let no one be put on the role of widows who are to receive church support who is under sixty years of age or who has been the wife of more than one man. And she must have a reputation for good deeds as one who has brought up children who has practiced hospitality to strangers of the brotherhood, washed the feet of the saints, helped to relieve the distressed and devoted herself diligently to doing good in every way. But refuse to enroll on this list the younger widows for when they become... Restive, and their natural desires grow strong. They withdraw themselves against Christ and wish to marry again. And so they incur condemnation for having set aside and slighted their previous privilege, pledge. Moreover, as they go about from house to house, they learn to be idlers. And not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not say and talking of things they should not mention. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, guide the household... And not give opponents of the faith occasion for slander or reproach. For some, already some widows have turned aside after Satan. Let's go to the book of Titus. The book of Titus, the third chapter. I'm sorry, the second chapter. The book of Titus, the second chapter. Begin with verse 1. Now, remember, the book of Timothy, first and second Timothy, and the book of Titus are pastoral epistles. Paul writing and instructing Timothy, as a young minister, what to teach the people. In chapter 2, verse 1, writing again to Titus, along the same lines, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Sound doctrine that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And again, I'd like to read that from the Amplified Bible. In verse 3, "...bid the older women similar, similarly to be reverent and devout in their deportment as becomes those engaged in sacred service, not slanderers or slaves to drink. They are to give counsel, good counsel, and be teachers of what is right and noble, so that they will wisely train the young women to be sane and sober-minded, temperate, disciplined... And to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, chaste, homemakers, good-natured, kind-hearted, adapting and subordinating themselves to their husbands, that the Word of God may not be exposed to reproach, blasphemed, or discredited. And finally, in the book of Peter, First Peter, and the third chapter, beginning with verse 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. Now listen. They also may, without the word, be won by the conversation or conduct or manner of living of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this matter in the old time the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Now, when studying or discussing or trying to understand any given topic, and by no means can we cover what we just read in one lesson, This in itself would take a seminar. But as a general rule, if you'd like to understand completely and fully any subject of the Bible, there's four things for you to understand. Number one, it's necessary to know and understand the initial will of God in the beginning. His initial intention in creation concerning any matter or any subject. No matter what the subject might be. Because in the beginning, God's will was already stated. And when His works were finished or brought to perfection, it was the way He designed it to be and He wanted it to be that way. Number two, you've got to understand what effect the fall had on that subject or on that circumstance, whatever the case might be when Satan imposed his will upon man. Number three, you've got to understand how the Father God reestablished His will through redemption, through redemption, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How He reestablished His will and we must understand how He did that through the resurrection so that His will again can be carried out throughout the earth. And number four, How we must, as men and women, yield our will to His will by renewing our mind to the Word so that we can carry out His perfect will in our lives on the earth. There's really four things involved there. God's intention from the beginning. What happened when when the fall came and uh, Satan imposed his will on man. Number three, how redemption was an act of God, reestablishing His will on the earth. Number four, your part in teaming up with God's will, renewing your mind to the Word of God. In other words, yielding your will to His will so that He can carry out His will in your life on the earth. And if everybody would follow this formula, you want to call it a formula, what else are you going to call it? But these four points, let's say it that way. No matter what the subject might be, you would have scriptural answers. If you want to understand about healing, just follow those steps. There wasn't any in the beginning at all. God didn't intend it, man have it. Number two, it came with the fall when Satan imposed his will. He hated us so bad he wanted us to see us slowly die. Number three, through redemption, through the plan of of redemption, through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father God put away sickness and disease once and for all. He took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. Number four, if I yield my will to his will and act upon His Word by renewing my mind by the Word of God, I can carry out and fulfill His will in my life, not being sick on this earth, until I go off to be with Him in glory. You see what I mean? Now, our subject is the virtuous woman. Let's go to the book of Genesis. Verse, chapter 2, verse 21. What was God's initial will for the woman... When she was created in the beginning. What was his purpose and intent for Eve and her life when she was created for Adam? Verse 21. And the Lord God caused us deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib... "...which the Lord God had taken from man, made he woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed." Now, notice the word, made. In verse 22. Made he a woman. He made the woman. Now, in the Hebrew, the word there is P-A-N-A-H, and it means builded or skillfully formed. Skillfully formed the woman. There's other words for made, but this word is different. It means he skillfully formed. He builded or skillfully formed the woman for... The man. His purpose was to create for Adam a help meet or suitable, a help suitable for him in his life on the earth. The reason for the creation of the woman in God's original plan was that he, she would be a help meet for the man. She was made for man. She was skillfully formed for man. That was God's intention from the very beginning. In their relationship, they were united in spirit. They were one in soul. They were one in body. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. In other words, they had a meaningful relationship in spirit, a meaningful relationship in soul, intellectually, and physically. They were one. This is God's original plan. They were together to rule the earth equally. Equal heirs. They were joint heirs of, over the earth. They had dominion over all the works of His hands. And it says in the second chapter, verse 1 and 2 and 3, that when God finished it and made it all, it was perfect. He brought it to perfection. He brought it to completion. They two together were to be a powerful unit on the earth. To live and rule and reign over God's creation. That was his intention. That was his purpose at heart. That's why he created. Remember the Bible says one could put a thousand to flight, but two could put ten thousand to flight. Well, praise God, Adam needed a help meet suitable for him so that he could, with her, rule and reign in the earth and over the earth as God intended. That was God's intention. That was the beautiful relationship between man and his wife. Now, listen to me. The woman was made to be a wife. Do you think that he would make a wife for one man and then for everybody else? I don't have anybody for you. Do you think that? If he saw the need of it back then that every man should have his wife and we'll explain this as we go along then don't you think that he's going to see to it that every man has his wife? Even now? And every woman has her husband? Even now? A woman is not fulfilling God's intention In her life, if she does not have a husband, unless she has totally dedicated and consecrated her life to serve the living God. Fully and completely. Now, in his... Well, let's say say it like this. In his intention from the very beginning, they were to be the gods of the earth. Remember, he said in Genesis, the first chapter, I give you dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over all every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, over all the works of my hands. They were to be his rulers, his under rulers of all the works of his hands. That was his intention from the very beginning. One writer said it like this. You'll notice we go on and read down here in uh, let's look at verse 23. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. You know. I like to play on what Adam said. I don't believe Adam just said it like that. I mean, you know, you're talking about somebody who's been created, and he sees all the wonderful animal kingdom. And, of course, there's not an animal that he can fellowship with. He sees the wonderful, you know, trees, all the beautiful trees and, and their fruit. and, and everyone. It's just beautiful. I mean, creation is just beautiful. In the garden, all the flowers, everything is just beautiful. And here's the man. There's not a help meet for him. There's no one suitable for him to fellowship I mean, you know, he's fellowshipping with the Father God, but remember, they're living in two different places now. God came down to visit with him and so on and so forth, but he's still a created being on on this earth in the Garden of Eden, paradise. The man needs somebody that's exactly like him to fellowship with. And so now, Adam takes a little nap, and when he comes up out of that nap, he sees woman. He didn't just say, and now you are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. He said... Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what he said. I mean, that's my paraphrase, but that's what he said. He said, Glory to God? I never said anything like this before. And what he said, you are woman. And really, I think that does a little bit of injustice because that word there, what it really means is you are she man, you are female man, or you are womb. Man, womb, W-O-M-B, womb, man. Or you are a man with a womb. In other words, you're just like me. Praise God. You and I are one. Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And we together are ruling and reigning over the earth. Think of the beauty of it. Think of the beauty of that. Go to God, but something happened. In Genesis, the third chapter, verse 16. I'm going to say something I want you to grab a hold of. This powerful unit on the earth came into contact with an adversary, fell from their first estate, and a curse was pronounced upon both of them. But we're referring to the woman this morning, so we want to talk about the woman. Look at verse 16. Unto the woman He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. That's You need to know that. And thy desire or longing shall be to thy husband. And he shall rule over thee, or you will be subject unto him. Now listen. The curse was not on woman as such, being a woman... But this curse that's upon the woman, as you can clearly see, is upon the wife. Where do you see women having kids outside of marriage? Because He said here, you'll be cursed in your conception, labor and travail when you conceive. Your desire shall be to your what? The curse came upon the woman as a wife. Which shows you and I Two things. Number one, every woman is to have a husband unless that woman totally dedicates and consecrates her life to the living God and is totally free from the contamination of this world because she will then not have children. She will not have travail and she will not have a husband. God will be her husband. Do you see that? If I'm talking about God's order now, I'm talking about God's intention from the very beginning. This is His intention. So the curse comes upon the woman as a wife. Not just as a woman, but as a wife. She is now in subjection to her husband. Uh, I can give you some New Testament Scriptures to verify that. Just write them down if you like. Ephesians 5.22, that the woman is to be subject or in submission to her husband. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands in the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves. And we read 1 Peter 3.1... Wives are to be in subjection to their husbands. We're not talking about a woman being subject to a man that is not her husband. And we get some erroneous teachings that the shepherding business, that every man is the, or every woman is subject to every man. Or to a minister. Or to a group leader. And that's, it's just erroneous teaching. It's fallacy. We've got to understand the principles that God laid out in His Word to be free from such bondages. See, the woman is to be subject to her husband in the Lord. And if she doesn't have a husband, then she's, of course, directly subject to God. Amen? Amen. Now, the fall produced a selfish nature both in the man and in the woman. Because of the curse that came upon them, of course, we understand how they fell from this place of equality, this place of lording over God's creation together. And the woman, because of the deception and because of her transgression, as we said, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said the same thing, the woman was in the transgression, remember? She being deceived. Adam was created first. Okay, but she shall be saved in childbearing. That's not talking about salvation. That's not talking about being saved to go to heaven. But it means delivered from childbearing. She shall be delivered from the curse that was put upon the woman through childbearing if she shall continue in the faith and love. And that's why a woman could actually come and have painless childbirths if they had the faith and if they walked according to the word. I know that might sound far-fetched to somebody, but the Bible says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think. If that love is really working in you. Amen. So the selfish nature that was produced in the heart of the man and of the woman caused God's intention to be perverted. It caused Satan's will to be carried out throughout the earth. So what happens? The man, he makes the woman a slave and the woman demands her equal rights. Instead of a unit now, together, two people lording it over God's creation, reigning as kings on the earth as God intended from the beginning, now we have the same unit, one treating the other like a slave, the other wanting or demanding her equal rights. Someone said it like this and it was quite humorous. Adam's rib... And Satan's fib caused woman's lib. <laughs> and if you stop and think about it, it's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. There's no question about it. You see, she demanded her rights and uh, just wasn't going to put up with it any longer and got to a place because of the selfish nature that was in her, that she just demanded her equal rights. And now, instead of the husband playing the role as, uh, of the spiritual leader and as, uh, even the, in the natural world being the breadmaker of the family, we've got women working, and I'm, I'm not opposed to women working, but I mean, we've got women working in the mill, we've got women doing, women doing men's jobs just so that they can support their family. And they have to do it because somebody's not taking their part. So what I'm showing you is God's intention from the beginning was not the way it is not right now. And unless we submit to the Word of God and to the will of God and reestablish God's will in our family life from the very beginning as He intended it, we will not walk in harmony with this gospel. And our family life will be destroyed and ruined. Every family that's been destroyed and ruined by divorce, loss of children, etc., etc., every family life, you can go back to the beginning and find out they did not establish God's priorities or His will in their family life. And if they had done so, there would not be divorces ever. There would not be children being cast away and turned over to Satan. But if everybody took their place as God willed it from the very beginning... You would see harmonious marriages that would be so powerful in God that these families would reign as kings on this earth as they should have from the very beginning. And circumstances, you might not change the whole body of Christ's circumstances, but bless God, you will change yours. I just praise God that in our household we have changed circumstances. Blessed be God, sickness and disease we don't want in our household. And when you line up with God's will from the very beginning, beloved, you will reign over these things in life because of your Unit, Your family unit being so powerful towards God. Now, they both lost sight of God's will and intent from the beginning because of the vanity of their mind, because of the darkness of their mind, because of the deception that was in their heart. Satan imposed his will upon them and it seemed like he was just having a good old time destroying people's lives. Well, beloved, listen to me this morning and you're not given place to destroy your family any longer your household will be put together for God if each person will take their place. Each individual will take their place in the household. You'll be a powerful unit for God. Let's go to Galatians, the third chapter. The woman demands her equal rights. And ladies, listen to me. I've got great news for you. Your equal rights finally came when Jesus was raised from the dead. In the book of Galatians, the third chapter, beginning with verse 27. And men, listen to me also. When the ladies were delivered from sin, just as you were delivered from sin, God went back to His original order, His original will from the very beginning. And no longer is the man lording it as far as making a woman a slave, but they are together heirs, equal heirs of God, joint heirs together together in a unit, in a family unit that should be reigning as God intended from the very beginning as Adam and Eve. And even more powerful because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Third chapter, verse 27 through 29. I'm reading to you from the Amplified Bible. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union and communion with Christ, the the Anointed One, the Messiah, have put on and clothed yourselves with Christ. There is now no distinction, neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In the Spirit. See, we are to walk after the Spirit. In the Spirit, the man, the male and the female, the husband and the wife, have both been redeemed. They've both been reinstated back to God's intention from the beginning in spirit, in Christ, and they are again one in spirit. Equal heirs of life. Heirs of God's grace, as we saw there in Peter. Heirs of life together, reigning together. No longer is man to be walking over the wife as, and making her the slave. And no longer is the woman to be demanding her equal rights and acting as some of them do today. But they are together to join themselves together in spirit. But don't stop there. Here's where the problem lies. In soul and body. This only affected the Spirit. If we could ever get our minds renewed, ladies and gentlemen, our minds renewed through the Word of God so that He can get His will from the Spirit into our minds and into our outward man, then God's will would be to reestablish back on this earth again for the man and his wife. And what a powerful thing it would be if we would only submit to it. Now, my intention is to discuss with you this morning the woman's role and her place and the qualities that make up the virtuous woman. Now, we talked about God's intention. We talked about what happened in the fall. And we briefly discussed what redemption would do, but I don't want to emphasize all that. As I said, if I did that, it would take us forever just to do that. But now I want to show you, so you can have your mind renewed by the Word of God, how God sees a virtuous woman. The characteristics that make up this virtuous woman. So turn with me to the book of Proverbs, the 31st chapter. For there is neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. But as far as the New Testament teaches us in domestic relations, now hear me, the New Testament teaches us in domestic relations, the husband is the head of the wife, not the Lord, but the head. Jesus is the Lord of the wife, and the husband is the head. The woman is to be in subjection to her husband. The husband is to be in subjection to Christ as Christ is subject to the Father. See, in domestic relations, the Word of God teaches us that because redemption is not completed in a sense that we have not been glorified, the Word of God shows us and declares to us standards for our Christian conduct, for our Christian life. It declares to us how this domestic relationship should be ordained in our families. The husband is to be the head of the wife. The wife is to be in submission to the husband. And the children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Now, this is God's order. You see, because man's mind is still not renewed and because the body has not been glorified, he had to establish his will and declare to us his intention again through the Word. He has to build this back into our conscience. He has to build this back into us so we can walk in the light of it. Because Adam and Eve walked in the light of it automatically because their spirits... Their souls and their bodies were all in line with the Father. Do you see what I'm saying? Whereas we've been recreated in our spirits, we know the truth, but our mind's got to be renewed. We've got to know how to do it. We've got to know what to do. And He's got to teach us how to do it. And we've got to manifest that in our outward man so we can actually carry that out on the earth. In the 31st chapter of the book of Proverbs, we begin reading with verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? Now, the word virtuous there... It means one who is good, moral, strong-willed, strong, moral, in mental qualities. Who can find a woman with high standards, moral standards, religious standards? Well, if you can find that woman, you know, the Bible says that you're finding a good thing. And he goes on to explain to us, the qualities that make up this virtuous woman. Let me say something before I go actually into this. He said, who can find? Who can find the virtuous woman? Now, remember, man's need doesn't change just because of the fall. He still, as we saw from the very beginning, needs to find his helpmeet. I mean, if Adam, in his first state, needed a helpmeet... And the glorious state he was in, is it not understandable that man every man today, in the sight of God, needs that same help meet? Isn't that understandable? And that's why he's saying, who can find? See, back then it wasn't finding one. This one was skillfully made for Adam. The Father skillfully made that woman. But the devil distorted all that he created and form. Now he says, who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find her? What am I to be looking for in a, in a, in, when I'm looking for a wife? Well, these are the qualities that make up that woman. In verse 11, or first, verse 10, Her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, So that he shall have no need of spoil. Stop right there for a minute and go to the 12th chapter. Hold your place right there. The 12th chapter, verse 4. Verse 4. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Now, check this out. A virtuous woman. Who could find one? A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Notice he's talking woman, woman, woman. Remember over there where Paul says, let the woman keep silent in the church? And everybody thinking that women can't speak or teach or anything in the church? Every time you see the word woman, there's not talking about woman in general. Most of the time it's talking about a wife. A virtuous woman is a crown to her what? Well, you, you know, if, if a woman's not married, she doesn't have a husband. Right? So he's talking about wives. God's intention from the beginning was that a woman was to be a helpmate. She is to have a husband. Let me expound on that again just for a second. The woman's reason for being created, God's reason for creating the woman was to create a helpmeet for Adam, to skillfully form. Another being, another human being, a sea man for the man. That was his reason. Every woman to fulfill God's initial intention of life should be seeking that godly man. That's the reason he created the woman. Now listen to me. The only reason that you don't have to consider or think about seeking that godly man would be so that you could totally consecrate and dedicate your life to serve the living God through Jesus Christ. Not for a career. Not for self-glory or fame or recognition. Not to make yourself a name on the earth. Not to live an independent life on the earth and to say, I gained such and such and so and so. That is not God's original plan for a woman but his plan for the woman is to be the helpmate to the, wife, to the husband or to serve the living God. And when you say, I serve the living God, you're not looking for a man. Listen to me. I believe that God will take away from you all the drives that he put within that woman so that she can be fulfilled with God and not with a man. All the sexual desires and drives that are in that woman, if she totally consecrates and dedicates her life to serve the living God in spirit and in truth, will be removed from her by the living God. He put it there, he'll take it away the same way. And that's why Paul said, let the younger widows, if they're not going to do this, and ask the Father God to, to take away that desire, then let them remarry. Because if not, there'll be busybodies, tattlers, idlers going from house to house, causing this and that, and before you know it, they'll turn away from Christ and to bring reproach to the Word of God and into the name of Jesus. God's intention for the woman is to be a helpmeet to a man or to serve Him with all you've got. Spirit, soul, and body. Look at the next part of this verse. But she that maketh ashamed, her husband that is, is as rottenness in his bones. I've got to say something right now. I praise God for my virtuous wife. My wife would never put me to shame. Never make me ashamed. I praise God for her. With all my heart. Men, you should feel the same way. You should be able to say the same thing about your wife. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Amen. But a woman that's not is as rotten as in his bones. And when the bones start to decay and rot, there's no help for you. Do you see what we're faced in the family life in the marriage relationship? Do you see why it takes the will of the man and the woman both in Proverbs the 18th chapter and verse 22 Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favour of the Lord You know, I used to read that back when I first got saved and it never made an impression as it's making on me right now. That's why you're to continue in the word. It is making more of an impression on me right now than it has ever been in my life because my eyes are open so clearly to seeing the value of having a virtuous wife. No ministry could be strong without it. No family life could be strong without it. You cannot fulfill God's intention in your life without this. The virtuous woman. And then over here in the 19th chapter, verse 14. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, I can't believe that the Father God is so strong about the woman's role as being a virtuous wife and not finding the right one for you. If He skillfully formed Eve... Adam. He's got one skillfully formed for you somewhere. And vice versa. Now let's go back to that 31st. No, let's, no, let's not. Let's go back to 11th uh, chapter first. Eleven chapter. i read all the wonderful things, but I believe I need to po- point out some other things. You ready, ladies? I've got to give it to you. It's in the Scriptures. I believe I can do it with a straight face also. I don't know. I may not. I know when I was studying, I couldn't. But I got faith that I'll do it with a straight face. Verse 22, 11th chapter, verse 22. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. Now, I often wondered why in the world did he say it like that? But it would be pretty ridiculous to see a swine in a swine's snout some gold. Wouldn't it be ridiculous? Verse Chapter 21, verse 9. Chapter 21. But I believe he emphasizes to show you just how bad life could be If the woman is not virtuous, 21st chapter, verse nine. Are you ready, ladies? It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Now, I didn't write this, so don't pick up any rocks. I'm just reading you the scripture. Look at verse 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And then the 27th chapter and we'll be redeemed. (laughs) Verse 15. (laughs) Verse 15. A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whosoever hideth her hideth the wind and the ointment of his right hand, which bewayeth itself. Now, you can't really understand that fully without going into the Amplified Bible. So, to clarify that for you, in the 27th chapter, verse 15 and 16, I'll read it to you from the Amplified Bible. A continual dripping on a day of violent showers and a contentious woman are alike. Who attempts to restrain a contentious woman might as well try to stop the wind. His right hand encounters oil and she slips through his fingers. (laughs) So, (laughs) praise God. I thank God for my virtuous wife. Amen, honey? (laughs) Glory to God. So, you see, let's go back to Proverbs 31. (laughs) There are rewards for being a virtuous woman and... It looks like we're being mocked for not being one. But I believe the Word of God is trying to grab our attention to show us that God is very, 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 very intent in having the wife play her proper role in which He created her, skillfully formed her for the man. Now, in the 31st uh, chapter, verse 10 again, Who can find a virtuous woman... For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. In other words, the husband has total trust and total confidence in her faithfulness. Totally. He's totally confident in her trustworthiness and her faithfulness. Look at the next part. Verse 12. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. In other words... She's thrifty. She's not a waster. She's a woman that can be trusted. She's a woman that's very faithful to her husband. And as far as he's concerned, there's not even an ounce of distrust. And I can say that with a pure heart. I have none whatsoever. None whatsoever in my wife. You know how much peace of mind that gives you? That I know, 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 beyond a shadow of a doubt, that my wife will do me good all the days of my life. She's never ceased to do that for me. And she'll always do me good every day of my life. That's why you'll never hear me say a word from this pulpit negative about my wife. And husband, you should be the same way. I count it a privilege and an honor and a joy to be able to go to anyone I could come up against. It doesn't matter who you are. I could say to you that my wife, as far as I'm concerned, is picture perfect. As far as I'm concerned, I've got the best. They may make him as good, I said, but they don't make him better. They do not make him better. And I praise God for that. That's just the way it is. Now, he went on to say in verse 13, and really beginning here with verse 13, he begins to show to us her ceaseless labors. She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. Off, from afar, She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms." She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hands to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Now, up until this point, we see him talking about, and I don't have time to get into every aspect of it, ladies. This is for you to do on your own. He talks about how she diligently works with her hands, how she gives of herself. And you know, this is true of a woman. She strengthens herself, she stays strong for her family. For her husband. For her, for her children. Sometimes you'll see the husband walking around the house trying to, you know, shake off some sickness or disease. Especially people that are not saved. But the woman's strong. She's always very strong. She don't have time to get, you know, put down. She don't have time to be weak. She don't have time to, 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 to be thoughtful about herself. She's got to take care of the kids. She's got to watch, make sure that the husband gets his lunch and does this and does that. She's always strong. She's very strong. I think people got a picture, uh, you know, or an idea that women are weak. But I'll tell you what, they're very strong. They have to be very strong. They have to be so strong because all that they do every day long, the demands upon a, a woman's life that's a wife and has ki- children, the demands upon their life, it, it, as far as I'm concerned, there's not a man around that works hard enough that could replace and do the job of a woman. I've tried it. You don't want to do it. I mean, when you come home from work, whether it was physical work or labors, your job's done. But her job just goes right on through the night. And then in the morning, and then at night, and then in the morning, and then at night. And especially when you have the little ones to bring up. I mean, your job, her job is never finished. It's never done. She has to be strong. I remember before we got saved, my wife said, I don't got time to get sick. I don't have time to get sick. And thank God, now she don't have to get sick. But back then, she didn't have time to get sick. And I understand what I'm, you know, you understand what I'm talking about. She didn't have time, to. she had to stay strong. She had to take care of the kids. She had to do this, she had to do that. This is the life of, of the virtuous woman. And she does it unto the Lord, and she does it cheerfully and joyfully, and she doesn't murmur and complain. Even though the demands upon her life are many. Look at what he's saying. It's just beautiful the way he outlines this. But in verse 20, let's read that again. Verse 20, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Now, we can stop right here and and show you and share with you some things. Let's go to... Hold your place there. Let's go to 1 Timothy again, the 5th chapter. 1 Timothy, the 5th chapter again, where we started. We read some of these scriptures. I want you to note, this is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. I want you to note that this is the Apostle Paul writing to a minister, to a pastor, to tell him to teach this to the ladies. We read verses 9 through 15 before. Let's read them again now. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. I want you to note something here. The wife of one man. Nowhere do you find it that it's wrong for a widow to remarry. But you will find that if a woman, once she has, especially if she's an older widow, and has lived her life, she will truly, to fulfill God's plan and purpose in her life, she will remain for, for her days to serve the Lord. With the now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to do that, but I'm just saying, look what he's saying here. Having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children... Look at, look at the good works. Well reported of for good works, if she brought up children, if she lodged strangers, if she washed the saints' feet, if she relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. This is the virtuous woman. But it seems to me in this charismatic move that we got the idea that the virtuous woman is one who's always praying or always doing spiritual things and has totally overemphasized the spiritual aspects of her life and neglected the physical aspects of her life and the mental aspects of her life. Now listen to me. This needs to be said. I want you to know who's writing this. I find it to, to be true in charismatic move today movements today, and I thank God that I learned this young, that people consider, and even wives, consider the time that they must spend with their children, raising them up, lodging strangers, etc., etc., etc. They may not know as much, you know, word if a person is involved in this as somebody else, but blessed be God, they are living the word more than those that say that they know the word. Did you hear me? They are living the Word more than those that can quote the Word. Because the Word declares this is the lifestyle of the virtuous woman. And he goes on to expound, You younger widows, that the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Now look at this. He's getting tough here. Having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle... But tattlers, also busybodies, speaking those things which they ought not. And here's the point I want to bring out, verse 14. I will therefore that the younger woman marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Look at the duties of this young woman. And the reason why he's saying for her to do this is to fulfill God's intention from the beginning. You be a good wife to some man. You raise up and rear up children for the kingdom of God, and doing it diligently, doing it in the eyes of the Lord as He sees fit, you will do and fulfill His will in your life. Spiritual things flow into natural things. We do not put supernatural and spiritual things above. As far as that's all I am as a spirit being, I don't live in a soul. I live in a body and have a soul. You hear me? In other words, I'd rather see a lot of people do a lot less in what they call supernatural things and do a lot more physical things in fulfilling their duties on this earth as they should to fulfill God's plan for their life. My wife is very diligent in all that she does and does an awful lot, and I praise God for it. I've said it to you before, and i say it to you again. You may not at this time see her right now, I mean, just, uh, you know, doing everything as far as to show that I'm a supernatural person. Oh, and I do this and I do that and I teach a class and I do this and that. Like, I know a lot, of, a lot of, listen to me, a lot of preachers wise, yeah, they get that, you know, um, respect the people that they do this and they do that and they do this and they do that. And yeah, and you know what they happen to their kids and their home life? It goes right by the wayside later on in life. Oh, but Lord, I did this and did this and did this and did that and did this for the church and did that for the church and did this for the church and did that for the church. But blessed be God, let me tell you something, ladies. Your first and foremost role in serving God with all your heart is to take care of your husband and your kids and see to it that it's done properly. This church comes forth in God's list of priorities. You don't have any broken up homes. You don't have any children that are having so much trouble with. But they'll be doing and living their lives as God ordained. And you'll find out that those that do not follow these examples will be those that have all kinds of problems. I don't care how spiritual they may seem to be on the outside, they have all kinds of problems in their lives. So I thank God. I said it again. I may say it a hundred times before I'm done. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for my wife. I thank God that she lives the Word in her heart and is doing God's will at this time. And praise God, one day when, should Jesus tarry, I'll see her standing right by my side. She might even be preaching the Word with me. Glory to God. But right now, she's doing what God said to do. Amen. Well, we can go on that all day. Let's go back to Proverbs 31. We've got to get this in. Verse 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. In other words, she's not concerned about when the wintertime comes because she, no matter what. See, people are, are so concerned about finances and this and that. But you know what? The virtuous woman, she's not concerned about that because she'll go out and do it with her hands if she has to that's one thing I'll never be concerned about. I thank God for having faith that He'll supply our every need because I'll not be concerned about uh, clothing and, and, and food and that sort of thing because He says He'll provide it. He'll provide it for you and the virtuous woman knows that and she'll just, if she has to, just do it with her hands. She'll do it with her hands. She'll take care of the family. She's not concerned about when wintertime comes. Remember, remember they didn't live like we live today. Wintertime a little bit back then, they didn't have to just go in and put on that furnace and, you know, everything. They did it with their hands. Let's go on. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. The first part of that is referring to she makes rugs, carpeting for their dwelling place. She takes care of the household. And in this latter part, her clothing is, now notice the two, silk and purple. These are items of refinery, dignity. Not like some people think you're not supposed to be dressed well. But this woman makes for herself of the finest. Silk and purple are the finest in them days. And you know it today. Try to buy silk today. But purple was, uh, in in them days, a sign of great wealth. And so she clothes herself in silk and purple. Her appearance is, she's adorned beautifully. But this adorning is twofold. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2. Again, hold your place there. Go to 1 Timothy 2 again. Let's clarify something right now while we're here. verse 9 In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array now these scriptures have been really destroyed in times past that's not talking about a woman being unable to clothe herself or look nice this is talking about... Because look what he said to do it with. But they're supposed to be with shamefacedness and sobriety. Did you ever try wearing shamefacedness and sobriety on your outward person? You can't. It's not clothing. This is the inward man. He went on to say, But which becometh woman professing godliness with good works. Now back then, in, in those days, if you stop and think about a, a woman with braided hair, go to First Peter while I'm saying this. 3... There was a, one, at least one to hundred and ten braids in, in their hair. One to hundred and ten braids in their hair. And each braid would be twined in silk or some star, something, just material, entwined. And at every interval there would be gold coins. And it would go down probably to the knee. And with every movement of the head, there would be glittering and sparkling. And they took the time to do this. And if we went on to their headdress and customs, you would be astounded and amazed the time spent on making themselves like this. Earrings would be worn, everything, nose rings, earrings, gold everywhere. Now, he wasn't saying that they shouldn't do that. What he was saying was, don't spend all your time on that. And I'll prove that to you in this chapter right here. Verse 2. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, who's adorning, let it not be the outward adorning and plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, which is clothing. Don't let that be your only adorning. He goes on to say, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, which is that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now what he's referring to is the inward man as opposed to the outward man. Let your inward man be more developed and more cared for than your outward man, so that your lifestyle, your conduct and manner of life will be seen to your husband towards that person that does not believe in greater dimension than even your outward beauty. And to prove to you that he was not telling us, the ladies, not to wear these things, he gave Sarah as an example, as you go on and read that, of a virtuous woman. or Of a woman that was, you know, the mother of all the ladies, uh, a good example. And wouldn't you know it? That when Abraham went to, to uh, find, he sent Eliezer to go find Rebecca, a wife for, for Isaac. Do you know what uh, he took to Rebecca? Bracelets, earrings, gold, all kinds of gifts. If Sarah wore them, if Rebecca wore them, if they did it all, then then why have we distorted the meaning of this and said women can't wear them today? But yet one erroneous teaching says that they can't have anything to look good. And so what do you have in some of these circles? you got, you got the husbands walking around with nice suits on and looking real good and behind them you see someone walking up behind them doesn't look like anything and it's their wife. That's right. They make them a disgrace. Make them wear, you know, the ugliest thing you can find. But they're walking off in the nicest suit you can find. But this is what's happening in some Pentecostal circles. Well, we can touch on that. Like I said, we can touch on all these things forever. But I wanted to point out to you that Sarah is being called uh, a virtuous woman here. We find out that she and Rebecca and all the other women wore these things. It was standard. It was common. I, I don't believe that we, we are today as they were back then because they were wealthy and rich and they had all kinds of stuff. They, they wore things on their person probably more than a lot of people are worth. I mean, I mean, quite expensive things. Just in gold and jewelry and all that sort of thing. So, let's go back to that Proverbs. i got so much to say in right here and I don't have any time to say it. So, praise God. Let's just finish this off in Proverbs and I just pray that you ladies will follow up on this. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing. Now that's talking about the clothing of her inward person. Dignity, strength, honor are her clothing. And she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Now that's in complete contrast to what